Tom, uh, we're halfway through season three. How do you feel? Already? Man, oh man, this goes fast. I know. It's disconcerting uh, just how fast it goes. I've, I, I, every time I go back and I, I hear another show has gone live, I think, ugh, I forgot to say this. Do you know that feeling? <laughs> like, sure. Had I only worked this in, it would have been so much better. Oh, sure. I try not to do yeah. that to myself, but yes, of course. Yeah. No, I know you do it too. Don't worry about it. I, <laughs> I, we're taking, I just want to take a minute because in the time that's, that we have been doing the show, we've had uh, so many people this season who have written in and shared uh, feedback or uh, their thoughts on the show. And they come from email, they come from Stitcher and uh, iTunes podcast, anywhere people are leaving comments. They're so kind and so um, wonderful. And so I wanted to just share, uh, I thought we could take a little bit of time to do some self-indulgent navel gazing. Oh. As Oh, S-I-N-G. Okay. S-I-N-G. Nice. We're going to sing our own prayer. What do you think about that? I feel like I feel like I'm uh, now a consultant because I have made an acronym and I'm going to make a million dollars on the circuit. It's going to be my sing tour. That's fantastic. Self-indulgent navel gazing. What do you think? So... Uh, first, uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll take the first one. I figure let's just go back and forth. We're going to do tradesies, uh, and, uh, we'll, we'll just share some thoughts of thanks. Uh, this is a way for us to thank, you know, everybody else. What do you think? Okay. Yeah, let's give it a try. All right, here we go. First from listener Melissa. First, let me say how much I am loving this show. I've spread the word about WTS to everyone that will listen and some that try not to, but I force them into it anyway. <laughs> I find myself turning to your podcast when I need a laugh on a bad day. Melissa goes on to begin. I wanted to share a fun tip I heard on another podcast, and this one is for you, Tommy. Oh, OK. Ants do not like cinnamon. <gasps> I don't like ants. cinnamon. Is that why I don't like cinnamon? <laughs> Wait, but I would love cinnamon. The friend of my friend is my. Oh, yeah. OK, no. So go ahead. Yeah, ants you would also like be an ant right. to keep ants from entering your domicile. Sprinkle cinnamon at possible places of entry. <laughs> when I heard this, I began to imagine Tommy arming himself with all the cinnamon to ward off evil ants in this imaginary but completely plausible scenario. I imagine Tommy constructing a cinnamon suit of armor, a breastplate with <laughs> rows of cinnamon plastered on the front with matching shield, a helmet covered in crushed cinnamon, a talisman to wear around his neck with a vial containing cinnamon oil. This armor would make Rufio or any of the other Lost Boys proud. Mm. I imagine there may be a ceremonial ritual of melting down red hots and painting the doorway <laughs> in hopes a plague will pass over to the next dwelling. This could just be the beginning. Ugh. I see this being a profitable venture. These items could easily be sold to any Kirkland store in America. <laughs> the sky is the limit. Warning, keep out of eyes. <laughs> That's wonderful. Based on that, my new I hate cinnamon, but my new plan is to bulk buy big red gum and just yeah. always be chewing it so i can spit on any ants that i see you should and you should put like a chewed gum barrier around all end points of entry <laughs> absolutely all seals at the house i worry a little bit that you'll barricade yourself out of the house like any cinnamon favor you yourself will not cross that's true i am you, kind of a you're... cinnamon vampire <laughs> like it's garlic to me <laughs> Uh, yes. So thank you very much, Melissa, from the USA. Thank you very much. Uh, I have one from listener Emma. Emma writes, salutations once again. I was so exhilarated when I heard a new episode of What's That Smell was released. When I saw the title, my heart soared and quietly whispered T-O-F-K-R. Thank you so much for allowing my story of sensory sound sensitivity to reach so many 
fellow anxiety-ridden pieces <laughs> of human flesh. Yes, that must have been our ASMR talk. Is that right? That's right. That's okay. right. Episode one of this season. I will now be immortalized in the vast network of the interweb. I can never escape from my new name of that one girl who talks like Virginia Woolf's novel, Mrs. Dalloway, and hates sound. I can never thank you enough. <laughs> This is from Emma Perrin, a.k.a. that one girl who can't get people to stop calling her that one girl who talks like Virginia Woolf and hates sound. <laughs> Repetitive, but very true. Thank you very much, Emma. Yeah, I love that. And I think recursive nicknames are the thing. <laughs> uh, I have another uh, comment here uh, from Lilio Hay in the USA. Mm. She says that uh, we have put together a really great podcast exploring common and not so common anxieties. It's as if she's sitting with us at a coffee house overhearing our discussion. She says, it's funny, which makes, which helps make the subject bearable. Also, you're sure to hear one of your own anxieties, which helps validate your own feelings and helps you know that you're at least not alone. Finally, in many cases, you'll hear some background on cases, which can help you start to research how you might tackle your own demons. These guys have been friends a long time, and you can tell after a couple of episodes you'll feel like you want to jump in on the conversation with them oh, which is very sweet although very most nice. people are probably wanting to jump in to shut us up yeah <laughs> exactly when you jump in <laughs> with duct tape in your hand that's very yeah. telling <laughs> and i'm i'm glad that ilio hay brought up the idea of that we are not alone uh because that's one of the biggest things in this podcast i'll be bringing it up later in this episode uh but spoiler alert we did some research one of you listening is absolutely alone but you're going to have to listen to the entire season. And at the end, we're going to let you know who it is. So good luck, everybody. One of you is completely alone. I have one. I don't know who it's from, so I'm just going to start reading it. This show always helps me see deep inside myself sometimes things I have forgotten. But it's so helpful. I have some anxiety. And you crazy guys. Help me put my life in perspective with some humor. Humor is spelled with an O-U-R, so I have an idea where they might be from. There is a song by Waylon Jennings that says, I have always stayed this side of crazy, but it's always kept me from going insane. This reminds me of you two, and especially myself. Thanks, guys. Again, very, very much your friend Dan from Canada. I screamed yeah, Canada because it has 19 uh, exclamation points, which I, of course, am a very big fan of. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. <laughs> I've got another one from, oh, geez. Yes, this is from hmm, 1066, who mm -hmm. writes in from iTunes. Fun therapy. Before listening, I liked the concept, but I didn't realize it would make me feel much better about my own anxieties. Listen, laugh, be a little bit less mentally ill. <laughs> I wish all therapy were so simple. I like the production quality, the banter, and the restraint they show in not taking a given joke too far. Well done. Something we've <laughs> Some, never heard. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> Something stinky at what's... Yeah. <laughs> I have not let a single episode go by without commenting on that. And spoiler alert, won't in this one. All right. Uh, ooh, we got one from Australia. Uh, this is Catherine S. in Australia. She wrote, hilarious, thoughtful, poignant, and ever so slightly anxiety-inducing. That was my nickname in college. It's a terrible nickname. <laughs> WTS has quickly become one of my favorite podcasts, and I'm hanging out for a season three. Wonderful. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Catherine. And I have one uh, from looks like Los Angeles, California. It says mm -hmm. more sticks, please. Hi, Uncle Pete. It's Foster. I'm a good boy. Uh, you should do a show about sticks. They are great <laughs> by Foster the dog. Good boy. How I'm did you actually, get access to my computer? That's wonderful. Let me just tell you, I didn't just make that up. That was an email that came to me. Oh, are you this serious? Season. I'm serious. 
And I love that you're responding like you don't remember. It's delightful. Thank you, Foster. (laughs) Good boy. What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Metz III. And every week we each drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. Reach out. Be like one of those great people from Australia or, you know, Canada or even Los Angeles. And uh, (laughs) let us know what you have on your mind. You can send us your anxieties to something stinky at what's that smell.net. Mm. And with that, Tommy, <laughs> I got a story. Tommy, as you know, I have some issues with uh, uh, some medical stuff. Yes, I believe that's come up. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, it has come up a number of times. I believe what we've done two or three, which are uh, episodes which focus on my needle phobia and cardiophobia and cardiac catheterization. Mm. I I never would have expected in a million years that I would have to come face to face with all of these anxieties and so many more I did not know that I had quite so quickly. And uh, I. I did go through this experience, not personally, but um, but with right my next own... to it. Yes, I yeah, do, right I do know this it. time about what you're talking about for the first time. Yeah. What's that smell history? Because you've been through the ringer. That's right. That's right. This is not a surprise uh, to you. And I, you know, as a result of like doing this show and, and becoming sort of practiced at talking about our own anxieties, I I feel like um, in insofar as this might sound like a, a retread of some other anxieties I've talked about in the past, this is very present for me and very resonant for me. And I hope you will uh, allow me to use the space to to talk a little bit openly about the experience that I had last week. I, I need to do it. And I, I hope it's this won't be a two hour episode, but, you know, I don't know how much I have to say. So let's, <laughs> so let's do you see. mind if we give it a run. Yeah, I've made a sandwich just in case. Let's do this. <laughs> I'd love to hear what right, you have to say. Go. All right. So it all starts with the call. The call actually happened uh, as we record this two weeks ago. It was a Saturday morning early. And I'll remember because uh, I was actively recording another podcast that we do with some friends. It was the Saturday matinee part of the Next Real uh, podcast. Mm -hmm. I was on the line with our dear friends, Steve Sarmento and Andy Nelson. And we were talking about movies and my phone starts to ring off the hook. Now, it's it's, uh, you know, 630 in the morning as we're recording this. You are fast asleep. Oh, yeah. I know. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, and my phone is burning up. Right. And it turns out it's uh, it's my mom and dad and they're calling from different places and they just keep calling. So I jump off of that episode. So halfway through the episode, I'm just gone. So Mm. any any listeners that cross the Venn diagram, this is why I disappeared. Uh, My dad had had a, a heart event. And he had been taken to the emergency room and they had done a bunch of tests and realized that he, after having incredible blood work, like role model blood work for years and years and years, doesn't take any pharmaceutical drugs at all. Really? uh, That it turns out he has been genetically gifted with a small artery disease. He has very small arteries given the size of his body. That's a terrible gift. As a drawman. It's it is. (laughs) 
it's, it is the worst of the gifts uh, that you can get genetically because that means, you know, we all get clots in our in our system over the years, right? Everybody gets them as we get older uh, in particular. And when you have small arteries throughout your whole body, right, small veins, small arteries, all of those clots become much more serious and much more risky to, to fix. And so they discovered over the course of this heart event and the weekend he spent in the ICU or the ER uh, that uh, he had uh, six blockages, four of them major, two of them life-threatening, and oh. that they needed to to do some some work. Is that a, I apologize, is that a lot of block, is that like, a huge amount yes. of blockages. Okay, so it's, that's serious. it is a huge amount of blockages. Six okay. is a big is a big number of blockages. That's a that's okay. a, a number of blockages. It's very very rare. Oh, okay. And um, you know, you hear a lot about four. Uh, two is uh, two is pretty lightweight. I mean, who are we kidding? Yeah, no, I probably have two. I've right never now. had it. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> For fun, I have two because <laughs> I, I do that bore on easily. Monday morning yeah. before lunch. Yeah. Uh, so I, I get this call, and they're they're telling me that you know he's fine at that point, like he's recovered from the event, and they've got him on blood thinners and all the medication. But you know, odds are he's going to leave the hospital, even though they wanted to book him for surgery like that day. The day that Saturday morning, they wanted him in the OR, but he said, no, we're going to get out, get some opinions. He did that. And all of the opinions came back to this one doctor's uh, recommendation. He said to my dad, he said, Mr. Wright, if I were to send your paperwork, your file and these videos of your heart function to any cardiothoracic department in the country, they will give you a bed today. Ooh. That's that's kind of how important this is. Okay. And, and the small veins make the risks and survivability uh, difficult, right? The risk was high, but everyone that came through ended up saying, you know, you need to do this. You need to make room for this. And so they went to all sorts of alternative um, the practitioners and, and they all came back to saying, you know what? Yeah, diet and exercise will only get you so far, kiddo. It's time to get in bed. Because largely of the small veins. Because of the small veins, he said, this is not a question of if you've recovered from a, a small uh, heart event and this is it's going to hit you again and it's going to hit you quickly. And Ooh. it's one of those things that you you likely it will just seize up and your life will will end quickly. Now, I say that with the it, with this context, both my uncle on my dad's side and um, uh, both of his cousins on my dad's side suffer from uh severe heart issues my uh oh, his I was, brother I was my dad's you'd brother say gigantic veins no 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 my my dad's brother had a, a quadruple bypass surgery himself 20 years ago he's Ugh. now passed on but uh but that was a it, it bought him 20 years and both of his cousins died from uh this very thing i mean that they i don't know about the small veins but they had their their hearts seized up they had heart attacks and strokes and died mm. my mom's side the same thing so i've got the genetic sweet spot right <laughs> yeah so everybody's looking at this saying you know mr Wright, this is a thing that you're going to have to deal with right now so we get that call i sort of drop everything and we start making plans sure. and uh, once it it's decided yes we're going to do the surgery and it, it's it's significant and risky and urgent uh, i get on a plane and i go to oklahoma how is your mother holding up at this situation, at this point in the story, and how are you holding up? Well, I was in in full-on sort of panic state, as you okay. can imagine, with my issues. I was spinning, and I think I do. A, I think I do a pretty good job of staying 
present when others are mm. counting on me. I think I'm a pretty good job of that, but yeah. uh, I'm not going to lie to you. Like once they started talking about survivability rates, uh, that Ugh. question alone is a trigger for me. Of course. And, That's and, the most uh, adult so I, thing to talk about in the entire yes. world. Yeah. Ugh. Right. I'm right. laughing like, out of horror. I don't mean to sound it, insensitive. Yeah. No, no, no. It's it, that's it. This is this is like forcing all of these anxieties on on a proscenium stage for me and shining a spotlight right on them. <laughs> and, you know, it's dad and I'm an only child. And so there's all sure. that kind of stuff. So uh, we get the call. We decide he's, he's going to do it. The doctor calls back. He says, we're going to schedule it for the following Monday. So I get on a plane and I get out there and uh I the first thing I do is I give my dad his birthday present a month early, and that is the Series 4 Apple Watch. And you know why the Apple Watch is great in this context, don't you, Tom? <laughs> Does it have like heart measuring situation? <laughs> it does not only will it measure your pulse this particular version if you hold your your thumb on the digital on the crown like where you turn the the little knobby thing yeah uh it'll actually do a 30 second electrocardiogram of the electrical signal of your what you're joking it does amazing more on that later it's important i'm waiting until they come out with one that has a vein widener (laughs) (laughs) do you hear that apple vein widener get to work yeah (laughs) Uh, so that's the, that's the first thing I give him because I think, you know, for God's sake, what if something happens and sure. I wouldn't have given him his birthday present? That would suck. <laughs> Is that weird? <laughs> no, because it's taking control. It's doing yeah, what you right. can, taking control in a controlless situation. I totally get yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So we had a we had a great day on that Sunday prior. We went out to the Apple store and we each bought new watch bands for our respective watches. So he's out and about. Sun time. He's really up and at him. Okay, moving very very slowly because at this point, like if he takes more than if he starts walking at pace, he gets very short of breath. What happens is his heart goes into into a little bit of atrial fibrillation and the muscles not working quite right. And when that happens, um, you know you go from. 60 beats per minute to 150 and it happens like instantly and uh and then the blood is not cycling through your heart it's the muscles not pumping it's just like quivering and um and so that that like the color will drop from his face and because he's not getting enough blood so all all of that is uh is a sign toward heart failure so we want to keep him moving very very slowly so it was a very slow moving day and uh but he was up and he was about he was totally lucid and we ate great food and we had a good time monday morning let's get to monday morning okay uh his surgery is scheduled for uh, uh right around noon the doctor uh, wants him in there early because he has a couple of more tests he wants to run. And so I bring him in to the hospital um, for the first bout. Uh, now, I'm going to go on screen share here for your benefit, Tom. I'm not oh. going to share these pictures uh, widely, but I, I just want you to be able to see. Oh, okay. uh, so you can kind of respond to some of the things that we're dealing with uh, and hope that 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 um, I don't know if I that, like that gives the a little bit, sound of this. I don't know. gives. <laughs> Gives a little bit of texture uh, to to uh, our conversation. I think you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. It's good. It's all good. I can't unsee certain things. Right? Oh, hi, yeah. friend. Yeah. Okay. So there's there's dad. There's yep. the old man reclining in a cot, a hospital bed. Yep. And that nurse that is standing next to him, that's Heather. She was the intake nurse, and she was very very kind. And uh, we're all smiles here. This right? looks great. I mean, yeah, he's in his little gown. Mm-hmm. He's great. So the next picture, uh, we'll go to this one. This is one of the tests they wanted to run. Can you describe what you see here? Sure. It looks like 
she's playing a computer game, but the resolution is terrible. <laughs> it's it kind of looks like ultrasound. It what I would think ultrasound. ultrasound. Okay, got it. This is this is what they call a carotid ultrasound. <laughs> she's running the ultrasound on his carotid artery on his neck. And you can see it a little bit better in this picture. And you, what you are seeing here and what you're hearing is the sound of blood flow through his neck. Right? Oh, yep. And it's, it's, once she adds color to it, it's bright and lit up and beautiful. And it is an amazing, um, it's just an amazing experience to watch your blood flow like that. I was still standing upright at this point and feeling really strong. Oh, oh no. He said, Which is weird. dripping with foreshadowing. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. So far, so good. Then they come to us and they say, you have to shave the beard. I and was about to say, beard. what just happened? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't have a yeah. beard anymore. Okay. He has no beard. They had to shave the beard. Ask me why, Tom. Why? Up to 50% of men's beards actually carry E. coli. What? All right, hospitals, just settle down. Stay in your lane. Yeah. We're dealing with... What? Yeah. 50% yeah. E. coli? Yeah, that's what they said, because uh, most men don't shampoo and wash their beards rigorously. They shampoo their hair, but their beards, they'll just get wet in the shower and they dry them off. Because of all the, like, you know, you blow your nose, you're breathing through your nose, all the, like, stuff comes out of your nose and just sits in the beard and festers, like, in your beard and mustache. And so, uh... if you... If you are a man who meticulously actually washes your face, you have nothing to worry about. Sure. And so shampoo, condition, do the whole works on your face. If you're not, that's that's bad. And so you you shave the beard because the incision point on this heart surgery is, you know, they split the sternum. Um. And so that <laughs> they don't want the beard like dripping skin and gross okay. stuff into the incision. Area. Sure. Are you okay? Sense. Are you doing all right? I'm okay. And what I would like to say is even without the beard, your father, very handsome. Some people, <laughs> some people of a certain age, you shave the beard, you go, oh no, we have to find him a fake beard stat. Uh, but he's still very handsome, strong chin, looking good. Okay. Uh, excellent, excellent. Wait, so E. coli, isn't right. that from chicken? Yeah, it's why like, are people rubbing their like, beards in chicken, Pete? I don't know why, why are people, people rubbing beards in their chicken. <laughs> Answer <laughs> the question, Pete. The weirdest stats. Oh, it's uh, awful. Okay, yeah. so we talk about this this stuff that you know there's there's risk involved, and and the risk is the thing they talk about. The last thing the doctor comes in, his name is Michael Phillips, and he's a hero. And so I, I started immediately calling him Captain Phillips, and uh, <laughs> I don't think he I don't think he'd seen that movie. He's or the doctor, doctor joke. Now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. Right. Uh, but he was very confident. He came in. I guess doctors, you know, they, they're like that. And uh, is very, very confident. And he said, I just need you to know these targets, meaning these veins are very small. Mm. That makes me nervous. I he still there's nothing in. Yeah. He said there's nothing in here that says I, I we should not go forward with this surgery. This is the right course of action. But I just need you to know this is there's there's significant risk involved. And he's he's really I mean, he's straightforward. And my dad looked at him and said, yep, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's okay. fix this. We had been talking, you know, I was kind of managing some of the things his his sort of surrogate in the world. And uh, he'd given me some bank information, banking information. Right. He said, I need you to go in. This was earlier in the day. I need you to make sure you go in and and make a transfer. So there's money in the checking account so we can write mm. we can write checks for groceries. And smart. Such, you know, it's pedestrian stuff. That's smart. So my dad is about to be wheeled off into the medical industrial complex that exists in the hospital behind the bowels of the hospital behind us. And he gives me a hug. And we're both a little weepy at this point. 
And the last words he says to me as I'm hugging him, he's whispering in my ear. He says, make sure to make that transfer. <laughs> That's For total crying dad. out loud, I kind of love that, though. <laughs> I really do. I mean, there's something so dad about that. No, oh, it's very. And he wants dad. to make yeah. sure that it's all taken yeah. care of. Sure. Oh, it was a very bad. So thing. he didn't dad mention thing. me. <laughs> it's it's a little. It's a little weird. He did not. It's a little, yeah, weird, a little weird. Even after what I just said about his beard <laughs> being shaved off, but that's cool. So we go into the waiting period, and this is a long surgery. It's many hours, and so we they they said it's going to be an hour before we even you know it's going to take us an hour to get him prepped for surgery. Um, the way he tells the story, it was maybe three minutes after we said goodbye, and there was he was in the operating theater, and they had a mask over his face, and he was out. Wow, he was he yeah. was unconscious, and from there they start plugging him in. And uh, by that, I mean, you know, doing the work to get the anesthesia in there, in his arms, in the veins, to get the uh, central lines in, uh, to prep for the first incision on the sternum, to get the drains in his chest. We're going to talk about that. Are we? Uh, and mm. uh, yeah, and to and to get that that stuff moving. And so that was it. And then they called. We We were in the waiting room. And we were just trying to, dis, you know, distance ourselves a little bit from the reality of what was going on uh, behind us. Sure. So some family came and we were kind of shooting the breeze and, and they called me every hour from the operating room, Tom, from the operating the room. Doctors? Yeah, the doctors? Yeah. There was a nurse who was uh, specifically instructed to call me. Oh. And the doctor would say, all right, I want you to tell Mr. Wright, this is what we're doing now and give him a status update. When did they start doing that? It's bonkers. And I don't know if I like it. I mean, we, <laughs> really? we got through it okay, but I'll tell you, every time the phone would ring and I'd look at the caller ID, oh. my mom tells me she, she'd look at me and the phone would ring and we'd both look at my phone and I would pick it up and all the color drains from oh, my face. Sure. And I say, hello, like I'm about to vomit. And, okay. and then they would say, they'd give me like full on medical terms, you know, like, uh, you're cutting the blastoplasty and the yep. hips to what's it. The and hips to what's he's it. doing yep. fine, right? Uh, and so they would they would say that. So they called me um, so one hour in. Yeah. yeah. They called me exactly one, 60 minutes into the surgery and said, Dr. Phillips has just made the first incision in his chest. And then they called me an hour and a half later and they said, we've we've uh, uh, harvested the uh, uh, the veins for bypass. Do you know what that means, Tom? I don't like any of those words. No, mm, no, harvested. they're not good words. Harvested. So what they end up doing, they have in order to do this bypass, they they actually take veins from elsewhere in your body and they they essentially run a bypass, a new lane around the the other veins that are clogged. They they sort of take those out and put it's like running a new highway in your heart. And where do they get those veins from your leg? Oh no, harvest. Oh, yeah. right. And they so all they do is they puncture a little space in your, the top of kind of up by your groin and then another uh down by your knee and they literally just snip and pull these long veins out of your leg. Mm. Yeah. And they use them in your heart to to actually run these bypasses. What, what did I think they would use? I guess I thought like some like metal. Well, I don't know what pigs. I thought. They they also use pig veins. But of course uh, you have they to use not like in this veins. Case. Yeah, I guess I was thinking yeah. everything is stints. Okay, 
This makes more yeah. sense. Okay. Yeah, a bypass, a stint is just in the existing vein. Right. If the existing vein can be widened, but given my dad's situation, they had to do the complete bypass. And Got stuff. it. Is that bananas? Is medicine amazing? Medicine is incredible. Okay. So the waiting is over and uh, it's been, you know, five hours, six hours, whatever. And they, he's in ICU. We move over to a distant, uh, different part of the Oklahoma Heart Institute and uh, he's given a waiting room. We're waiting for him. And finally, they tell us you can go in and see him for the first time. He's not awake. He's not lucid. They prep you for this. They tell you it's not going to be pretty what you see. But you need to know that it's normal and what you're seeing is okay. They're he telling you that. And he's fine. They're telling me that. Okay. And then we get that. Oh, yep. Can you describe what we're seeing there? Yeah. It's your father. He still looks very handsome, but he looks like he's asleep. There's a tube going into his mouth. There's something hooked. It it looks like he's hooked up like the Million Dollar Man or whatever that show yeah. was. He's got a lot of things yeah. going in and out. Oh, there's a lot of things going in and out. And this was, I mean, this was like, we'd we'd kept a pretty good humor throughout the day. Like there were enough family there. They knew what their job was, was to keep us kind of smiling. And then we walk in and see this. And, you know, my mom had gone in first. She should not have gone in first. She she had her opportunity for a little breakdown. And I came in. Of course, I'm an idiot. So the first thing I did was take a picture because all I can do is hide from the fact that I'm crushing inside. And uh, and so I'll I'll make a joke like, here's this picture. But um, I'm I'm grateful that I did it like it was a, a silly thing to do. But uh, I'm no, grateful it I did sense. it because, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's impactful to me. What you see is intubated. That's the the tube in his um, throat going mm-hmm. down into his lungs. Is breathing for him at this point, and uh, there's a yellow tube that's going into his neck. That right. is an, a central line, and inside there, running from where it meets his neck, it's actually running through a vein into his heart. And the oh, reason man. they do that. Yeah. So the reason they do that is because the medicines that they're using on on him are often very damaging to veins. Right. And so they need to get them quickly into the heart, but they don't want to damage the rest of the vascular system to do it. So they just inject them through this central line and it goes straight to the heart and they and it's it's apparently safer and much, much faster to do it that way. Is that crazy? I have no idea. I guess I just have no idea about medical science. I think I do. And I'm like, why are we still? Why is birth so hard? But like, (laughs) shut up me. Like medical science is incredible. I actually do still believe that birth is too hard. But yes, (laughs) if we could undo that, that would be great. But that's remarkable. It is remarkable. And then the next morning he was up. That's immediately better. It's the thing going into the mouth. He said that was the worst. That you know where it's going that's the thing of like, because it involves aspiration, involves all that stuff. That's where it's so dehumanizing. Yes. yes. So just seeing this, he does not look super great, but he immediately looks so much better. He's still got that that neckline going on. He's got wires yeah, connected to his thing. There. But the fact that the intubation is out, look, it looks like he's got a big gulp. In his left hand, he does. Dynamite. He's, got, he's got a big gulp in his left hand. You can see down here by his feet, there are four hoses, and Ooh. that gives you a sense of scale. Those hoses are going into his chest, into his body, and they're leading to drains in this picture. Oh. And you can see the this is keeps the lets the blood and fluid drain uh, along with the uh, the Foley catheter for urine, and um, mm. this is this was the thing he said that that the um, the intubation was the hardest because he came out he came conscious again around three that morning yeah. uh, that tuesday morning and that was still in his throat and he said you know it's dark people are coming in and out the lights are beeping and all that stuff and they and and he was trying to 
to make noise, but of course you can't speak. And that thing is still going. And he just wanted them to to get it out of his throat. He said he had it in his throat for an hour, maybe more no! while he was awake. Yeah. It's, it's Does it terrible, hurt? But I don't want to know. Let's not keep going into that. That sounds like, okay, that sounds like a living nightmare. It was great. Yeah, it was just really uncomfortable, I think. I don't know that it hurt. I sure. think it's just a thing that causes you to go into a little bit of a panic right. state. And, yeah. and so, um, did he, anyhow. So, did he want to look at all the things? Is he the kind of guy that wanted to look at all the stuff coming out of him as far as these tubes and see what they were connected to? Or is it Operation, he, everything from the neck down, go for it. I'm going to be up here with my big gulp. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, he, it's not like he was peeling back the gown to look at stuff, but every time I wanted to see it, he would show it to me. And so, like, mm. this is the next picture I'm showing you here. Um, you actually get to see the incision. Yeah. And by now, they've taken out the neckline. You can see a bandage there. Yeah. Um, it's all together. But by incision, it's like the yeah. healed uh, cut, I guess. So it just looks like that line. Right. And so what they've done, they, they saw the sternum apart. They make this giant incision. They saw the sternum <laughs> apart, peel back the ribs. <laughs> You gotta work on your verbs. No, I guess this is part of it. This is part <laughs> this of what is you right. need to go through. Okay, go ahead. And they use a mesh uh, to put it back together. There's like a metal mesh and, and some wires that that kind of wire his bones back together. And then they Ugh. use a few. What I gather is a few incisions or a few sutures on the inside of his skin um, to to get the skin back together. And then they glue it. There's like a. It's essentially super glue. They kind of glue the surface together. So there's a gluey surface on the actual incision. The incision's a foot and a half long. You know, I mean, yeah. it's not short. And then they put a tape over that. You can kind of see this invisible tape line around the edges that's a oh that's very what that clear, is yeah yeah okay. and it just sort of dissolves sure right that's nice so the incision's very clean and it was it was some exceptional work by captain phillips if i do say uh he did some good work i'm impressed and then he's up i mean by that day that was the next up day and around walking down the hallway with his yellow booties look at him go yep. the next picture you're looking at here <laughs> he's asleep let's see who's his friend that's Fred. Okay. Fred is a bear. Yeah. And uh, when you have this surgery, it's very important that you don't put any external pressure on your ribcage. You can't lift anything more than 10 pounds. Yeah. And uh, that's, uh, you know, a gallon of milk is about eight and a half pounds, if that gives really? you a sort of reference point. Yep. Okay. So. Uh, and so when anytime you roll over, you have to sit up or you have to cough, all of that puts an external pressure on your sternum. And so you have to hug Fred. So every heart patient has a Fred. The, and stuffed, they're constantly the stuffed bear Fred. Stuffed okay. bear, right? And they have to hug it and hold it real tight to them so that the ribs, uh, the ribs don't kind of fly apart. <laughs> oh, ah, Fred, what a cutie with what a horrific job. But that's an important job. That's an important job. Uh, now, okay. I just kind of jumped into this one. I went a little bit quickly on this. Uh, uh, they have okay. to take the hoses out. Do right? they? He has to take the hoses if out. If the tape can just sort of dissolve like it, all the hoses. <laughs> Why can't everything just melt away like tears in rain? Yeah. Replicants. The, uh, the hoses here, we're, what we're looking at is a close-up of the doctor's uh, oh. hands and some uh, scissors. She's cutting a away some... Um, it looks like there's a, a port to, going into his yeah, something. That's right. That's it. the hose. All oh, right. Well, about the size. Did I say zoom in, please? Ugh, I don't remember <laughs> saying that at all. Of, of your pointer finger, these drains, and they do. Uh, they go right into these big cuts, right into your gut. And he had four of them. And these. Are, this is a close-up <sighs> of the incision, so you get an idea of the size. And 
that was totally normal having these weird matrix kind of things <laughs> coming out of him. And then, you know, when they pull the veins out of your leg, that leaves oh. open veins in your leg. And nobody's really concerned about this, but it's a significant amount of bleeding under your skin. It looks and that's like a bruise. It's, it's his inner thigh and it looks like it's a significant, like all the bruises got together for a bruise picnic. What a terrible <laughs> picnic. Why it's, would I why would I say it that way? <laughs> Whatever. It's a bruise picnic. Yeah. yeah. Man, if we picked our titles uh, from the content of the show, <laughs> you would have just had that one on lock. I think instead of what's that smell, we should have just called this bruise picnic. <laughs> the bruise picnic. <laughs> so then we have the. Did it the, hurt? Uh, Did the bruise picnic hurt? Or was no, it just not at all? Just oh, he was like, really? Yeah, you know, he would show off. He'd be like, he's slapping it. Like he would, he's loved it. He thought that was a hoot. <laughs> Didn't hurt at all. I dig it. Uh, and then we. The other thing they have to do is once they took the neckline out, they had to install a, a pick line, uh, which is another s- kind of a central line where they run a thing from the inside of his bicep yep. into his heart. And OK, it's another one of those things that has like a three lines coming out of it. And it's so they can deliver medicine very quickly. But it's like a surgical procedure when they have to install this thing and they just like shovel the line into your arm and it just keeps going and going. And so in this photo, you're looking at the lovely Alina, the nurse uh, of the day, and she was taking it out. Actually, this is the thing that she was doing at this point was taking the pick line out. And uh, Tommy, she started pulling and it didn't think it would end. Uh, It's just incredibly long tube. It's probably about a a foot and a half long again. But, you know, like a magician. Pulling it out of an arm. Yes, exactly. That's exactly the experience. And so um, uh, that's that's kind of the the run of it. And then that day, that was a Sunday and he was discharged from the hospital. So that was a full sort of six days. He was out for a day and then he went back into atrial fibrillation, which is, again, that state where your heart starts beating. The electrical signals aren't working well. And so your heart starts uh, beating out of sync. They brought him back to the uh, uh, Heart Institute for a night, and he has been out ever since. Uh, and he is at this point. He's been home fine. ever since. He's fine. I just called him before we started the show, and he sounded like he sounded like nothing happened. Really? Yeah. Was and he, he like, how did you did you finish that transfer? Was yeah, that the first thing. Exactly. <laughs> well, that was the first thing I told him when I saw him again was like, I took care of the transfer, Dad. <laughs> and so I the things that were troublesome for me is, you know, the needle stuff is hard. So all of this yeah. that sounds like I'm talking to you with great confidence and strength. I'm just saying it was I was a basket case in my head. Like it was it I was every bit imagine. as triggering. Well, there's also a imagine. lot more of you in the room than I would think there would. Yeah. Like if you're able to yeah, take I was, these pictures of tubes and stuff coming in and coming out, that, I'm surprised. I don't know how things work, so I'm a little surprised. I guess I just thought that all of that stuff. But this is obviously a hospital that treasures transparency. If they're calling you yeah. during the procedure every hour, I mean, yeah, yeah, I get I, it. It was it. It is. Uh, it's a world class facility, and they really. I mean, they've sort of invented some of these care procedures to, um, you know, and and patient family care. Uh, they, they really do go a long way with it. But they, these were the hard things for me. Right. Mm-hmm. Anytime you have a port plugged into somebody, mm. I have a problem with that. Anytime you have four hoses coming out of his gut, I have a problem with that. And I was I, I think I do an OK job when I'm called on to just sort of put on put on a brave face and 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 look at it but as soon as right. i had to stop and think about it later uh i got it's it's hard not to find that a triggering 
experience and it gets shaky and I had to walk away and do laps and and just get air and lots of water. It seems like obvious. Of course, that would be triggering. But do you know what it is triggering? Is it that it's is it dehumanization? Is it of the liminality between man and machine? Like, what is it that bothers you so much? Or is it just things sticking out of you? And that's terrifying. Well, things sticking out of you. And now I have the gift of knowing just how genetically linked I am to this. You're personalizing it. Of course, of course, of course. That was dumb for me not to figure that out. Right. Okay. That is 100%. I mean, I'm not, I don't even have to, I'm I'm not even burying this one. This is exactly what's going on. How often did you yell, get these tubes out of me? And then you'd be like, what? (laughs) Do you need- I didn't sleep well. Yeah, yeah. no, it's it's true. Uh, the the thing that was hardest to watch, like there were a couple of things that were particularly difficult to watch. So these the any of these like catheterizations were were difficult. Mm-hmm. The Foley catheterization is the is the the one into the bladder, and that one was tough to watch getting taken out. I mean, if anything that makes you sit up straight, that's the one, and they just yank it. Apparently, that's just a thing that comes out in a hurry. Sure. And so I was not keen on that. But the (laughs) the other one that I wanted to talk about, because we did a whole show on cardiac catheterization, I just have this one update. This is when you were sitting in your father-in-law's car, father-in-law's car with your driveway, having the heat sweats, listening to all these. So that's right. I just want to remind myself. Okay, got it. Now, if you remember, we're talking about how it goes into your artery in your groin, listeners, and it goes into your heart. Listeners, Mm. you'll remember that episode from the one you turned off. (laughs) (laughs) So apparently, there is another way to the heart, and that is what my dad had done, a cardiac catheterization through the wrist. Wait, that's better. You made the same weird voice, but that seems better. It seems better. It really does. And it seems better for all the same reasons, right? That there's less bleeding. You're up and about faster. You have less risk of heart attack. The word groin isn't involved. The groin is not not involved. Uh, But and they were able to do it. But but it is still something that makes me uh, super uh, anxious. Yeah, uh, that is that is sort of so invasive. And now I think the problem for me is that it's it's right there on my wrist. Like if it's on my leg, I can like look up, but it's oh, on my it's wrist. Right it's like right there, and it goes up and into my oh. elbow. What if I squeeze my elbow? What if I flex my bicep, my massive bicep, and I break <laughs> something? And the why like, are you doing what? deadlifts in the hospital? <laughs> <laughs> what if Tom? Yeah, that does seem so, a little more right there. That makes sense. Yeah, boy, it was right there. And so, um, anyhow, getting uh, this this was right there on. It, it, this was my entire you walked experience through last the week. Tunnel. Yeah, it, it was. And and I got a comment from another listener who said, um, you know that it, that it feels like I'm able to talk about this easier, like more easily. Uh, as, as a result of having gone through it. And I think that's true, but I, I'm not, I'm still absolutely not over it. And um, I, that's going to be a lot more therapy or maybe the experience of going in and getting this work done. And that was the message that I was left with from Captain Phillips. He looks at me as he comes out to the uh, waiting room and he says, uh, you need to go do a stress test and get your self checked out. And I've got a little weight around the middle, right? You know, mm-hmm. I'm a middle aged guy, and he says, sure. you know, we do we don't stress so much about the the weight for most people, but you're not one of those people. <sighs> you you're one of those men who cannot afford it. You got to lose you got to lose the weight. 
Uh, you got to change your life. And so I've, I've had to work on uh, changing my, my diet and, um, fitness routine. And, and it's this, it really? puts a lot of stuff into focus. Yeah. Yeah. That picture that I, um, that I showed you of, of dad intubated, I actually have that, uh, with the words make better choices on it that I'm printing oh, out and putting wow. everywhere that, that I need to be reminded that this might not be whatever I'm doing next might not be the right thing. Like wow. going through a drive through somewhere. Well, sure. I probably should go eat a head of lettuce just straight out of the grocery <laughs> store instead. It's like an apple. I, You know what? To help the younger generation, I would put that picture. I would wallpaper your, your child's school. <laughs> We've got. That's not. Really that's not creepy that. at all. I think they'd be like, no. you know what? Yeah, I'm passing up my Happy Meal. I do kids. No, and meal? not, not like little, like a tapestry of or a quilt of tiles of the. I mean, like a floor to ceiling, fourteen foot God. head of an intubated seventy <laughs> two year old with the goo and every. I want them to just see detail. I think that'll help. Make better choices, kids. Make better Love choices. The principle. Dot dot dot. You might <laughs> Look, be next. Perfect. Love the future. Yeah, I love what's that smell in the future. <laughs> and then and then just like a phone number for the nearest therapist. Dynamite. <laughs> All right, it's time for that part in the podcast where one of us shares a regret that we have that fills us with a teeny bit of anxiety because that's mm -hmm. what our lives run through. Uh, just recently, I had to find a new dog boarder. I was actually going on a trip back to Boulder and I had to find someone to house Foster uh, while he's gone. I don't send him to a kennel or something. There's sort of an Airbnb out here uh, situation in Los Angeles where you can drop off your dog at someone's house and they have a dog and you have a dog and it's all great and they watch it and it's much more nice. Um, Either way, it was the first time they were meeting me and my dog, uh, Foster, and uh, I was meeting the husband and wife, Aaron and Andy, who live out here, and their beautiful young daughter, Dylan. Dylan was playing with Foster. This is sort of a oh, no. I don't think it's. I, know, I don't think it's going. Go. I don't think it's going where you think it's going to go. It's it's what? not that bad. Um, either way, uh, they're playing together, and Dylan remarked in front of her uh, father and mother, "Oh." Uh, he has an upside down heart on his back because Foster does. If, if viewers, if listeners have seen pictures of him, he has an upside down heart uh, on his back. And I said, like I've done many times and it's become a tick because it has never worked. I said, yeah, I'm having that removed. Like as some weird joke of like that I'm such a sociopath, I would have spots removed from my dog. I would say, yeah, I'm having that removed to myself. Go, ha, ha, ha. That's funny. I like that joke. No one ever likes that. Oh, I'm in a room filled with people. And I look over at the daughter and her face has dropped like she's eight. And she does not. She's like, why? Oh, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm not really going to have it removed. That's a joke I make about <laughs> surgery on my dog. And she goes, surgery on your dog. And I was like, why do I do this to myself? No one thinks that joke is funny. <laughs> and now I've kind of horrified a child while saying I'm about to leave my dog in your care. I regret that, Pete. I regret that my mouth works. Oh, well, we'll yep. try it again next time. Absolutely. <laughs> Something you won't regret, Tom. This show is brought to you by Audible.com. 
Audible is a fantastic service. You know, I've been a, a member of Audible for almost 20 years. The devil you say. Right? That's a long time. That's and long I time. don't regret a single year of my membership of Audible. Not I, even one in the middle? <laughs> not even one in the middle. Right. Even when I get get books I don't like. I love this company so much. Mm. They, uh, I have hundreds of books in my library. I always have something to listen to in traffic, on mm. a train, mm. uh, in uh, Lyft or Uber. Oh. Uh, I've always got something to do. And uh, you can also get a free book by signing up for a free 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash podcast. Over 180,000 titles to choose from. And if you sign up for a, a, a subscription, not only do you get your uh, your one or two books, you also get these Audible Originals. These are uh, new little littler things that you can add uh, to a month. And they're, they're great. They're I've short been hearing stories, about these. They're news articles. Oh, they're great. Yeah. They're I've been having a great time. It's like little bonus things. Bonusy oh, things. Bonus things. All right. Oh, they're perfect. And do I ever have a book for you today, Tom? I Now, this is a book I've been meaning to read for a long time, or I should say I had been meaning to read for a long time. I finally got through it is on it this last Catheter trip. the book? It is... <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is not catheter the book, but it seems like something Crichton would have done. No, this is <laughs> the culture of fear. <gasps> Why Americans are afraid of the wrong things by Barry Glassner. Ask oh, me what I'm Tom. pointing at right now. You have it. Do you have it on your shelf? I actually own the real book. Remember real <gasps> books? But, no. But I, I, what I did is I uh, drank a bunch and then I read it into a recorder <laughs> and then I can listen back to the recording. It doesn't make any sense. I probably should have gone to, to uh, Audible. But yes, I read that book a long time ago. I love it. They it just had its uh, ten year kind of reprint thing, and this audiobook is fantastic. Barry Glasner is great, and he teaches you some things, people. Yeah, uh, it's very much in line with like, um, uh, you know, what was that uh, Blink, uh, one of the Malcolm Gladwell kind of things, where it's like you're looking at a situation this way, and I know you're scared of something, and I'm going to tell you why it's pointless to be scared of that thing. The data doesn't support your fear, right? But there is something to be afraid of in the world. Here's my list. Right. And uh, I just absolutely adored it. Uh, it is The Culture of Fear, Why Americans Are Afraid of the Wrong Things. The right. reprint is subtitled, Updated for the Trump Era. Oh, snap. Oh, I'm totally going to listen to that. Yes. Yes. Because if absolutely you're, listeners, it. if you're afraid of shark attacks, don't be. <laughs> yes. It's the news okay. telling you to be afraid of sharks because <laughs> it's a great right. copy. What should you be afraid of? Everything else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, once again, free trial, 30 days. If you don't like it, that's fine. You will have supported the show, uh, this show, and this is the important part. You get to keep the book even after you cancel your subscription. AudibleTrial.com slash scent of a podcast. Here, this map is going to be your guide to North Shore. Now, where you sit in the cafeteria is crucial because you got everybody there. You got your freshmen, ROTC guys, preps, JV jocks, Asian nerds. Cool Asians, varsity jocks, unfriendly black hotties, girls who eat their feelings, girls who don't eat anything, desperate wannabes, burnouts, sexually active band geeks, the greatest people you will ever meet, and the worst. Beware of the plastic. 
Pete, you shared something very, very personal, and we appreciate that. But that means I get the honor of sharing a listener submission. How do you feel about that? Yay, listener submission. And something this one. impersonal and distanced from the horror that was my last week. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Hey, everybody. Uh, let's get rid of the last hour and figure this out. This is from Owen. Oh, she decided we can use her full name, which is Queen Annie Jackson. Oh. Ooh. This is what Annie wrote. And I think this is something that will be shared by everyone. <laughs> on in the universe. So I think it's very applicable. Um, Here's what she wrote. Quote, I always struggled in middle school and high school with the idea of where to sit and with whom it was like, does anyone want to sit with me? Will I be accepted? Am I cool enough to sit with them? Should I wear pink on Wednesday? Walking to the lunchroom, all of those thoughts went in my head. I would then talk myself down and be like, okay, on the way to lunch, I'll find someone, start talking, then casually sit down with them. Unfortunately, leading up to it, the dreaded exchange of goodbyes on the way to the lunchroom. Okay, see you later. Well, that led to time standing still. There I was, all alone, standing and looking like a fool in a black hole of tables with no clear clue where to sit. Eventually, I found, Perrin, as we all do, my crew and that anxiety lessened. However, until you find that particular crew, lunchroom anxiety is a real deal. I still struggle with it today. Like in food courts, hotel continental breakfast, the teacher's lounge, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Everyone always feels judged in the teacher's lounge. I'm better at overcoming this particular anxiety, but still that middle school slash high school slash college student is still there deep down and just wants to be accepted. All right. So where to eat in the lunchroom? To the best of my knowledge, this is a mix of two fears. Uh, Dipnophobia, which is a fear of dining and dinner conversations. And solomangerophobia, which is the fear of eating alone in public. So fear of being judged, fear of being seeming like an outcast or unlikable, social anxiety. You got to say that again. Dipnophobia? D-E-I-P-N-O-phobia. A fear of dining and dinner conversations. Phobia. Or wow. solo manzerophobia, which is a fear of eating alone in public. I think it's a it's somewhere in the <laughs> in intersection public in Italy of those two. Absolutely. <laughs> well, it has the word manja in it, so I have to pronounce yeah. it like an idiot. Yeah. So that's uh, amazing that that is uh, that there are words for that. I I am amazed every time we come across one of these things, but these in particular, these words It's it's social anxiety, but it's cool that someone right. like has broken it down so much. But guess what, Pete? Um, in case this uh, episode is running a little long, I already solved it. I went on the internet and I I found a solution to the entire problem. No discussion needed. The answer is out there for all to see. But because I'm a mm-hmm. champion, I found it. This is on WikiHow, the website oh WikiHow. How to find somewhere to sit at lunch in four steps. Can I go through <laughs> them with you real quick? <laughs> yes. Valuable yes. stuff. Everybody grab a pen. Number mm-hmm. one, look around for a group of friends. Do you see a group of your friends sitting together? Number two. Walk up to them. See if there is an empty chair. Number three, ask to sit with them. Smile. Number four, sit down and eat your lunch. Enjoy your friend's company while you eat your meal. Great. Nailed <laughs> oh my it. God. Wiki, how you've solved nothing. Yeah, that entry. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> that entry is understandably rated as only 28% helpful and is clearly written for robots pretending to be human. <laughs> 28%? But still, the 28% were like, thanks, WikiHow. It was always what tripped me up. I would sit in a seat that was already taken. That's not the problem people are having. 
Uh, all right, Miss Jackson, if you're worst. nasty, first and foremost, thank you so much for uh, submitting this. Uh, and number one, with a bullet, you are not alone. Even if you're alone at lunch, I started researching where to sit at lunch or anxiety about lunch or where to sit. And there are a zillion people talking about it. I mean, this has not oh, gone sure. away at all. There's something kind of when I first read it, there was something that sounded a little wonder yearsy. Meaning the old TV show about like yeah. dealing with oh, high it. school or junior high. Um, oh, I'm talking to our younger listeners who are like, "What is that? An, <laughs> is that an app?" Um, I personally love eating alone now. Now that I'm in my 90s, it's when I get most of my reading done when I'm out and about. But I do remember how stressful it was in school, especially when I moved to Colorado from Washington D.C. in the fourth grade. And I honestly don't remember how I fared in those early days. There's a chance it was so traumatic that I've blocked it out. Yeah. Uh, Pete, I wanted to turn to you. Uh, how's it by you? Like, what is your situation with this? Oh, absolutely. And and it was why I think I started navigating, you know, the lunchroom as just the place to get the food and then immediately go find someplace else. Right. right? Some shady like a tree classroom, or yep. a shady tree. Uh, if there was a teacher with like open hours in their classroom, I would go sit in there and pretend to work or read a book or listen to something or you know on my uh my sony waterproof bright yellow uh walkman nice uh there you know i that was very much my my thing because i i just didn't i didn't feel like i had a tribe yeah for for a lot of those years for which years are we talking about like had you just moved somewhere or this is a new school no, I, I let's see. I think I did OK in elementary school because it was really, you know, sort of prescriptive. You, you just you got your food and you went to a table and you didn't talk to anybody else. If you didn't have you just ate. It was like, all just about shut ju up and eat. juice boxes. Yeah, right. Right. It was all about juice by Capri Suns, mm. figuring out where the little hole is to stab the. That's what I straw. had anxiety about. Ugh. Oh, always. That's like juice always. catheterization. Yep. Hey, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is a uh, we should have covered that a long time ago. <laughs> the, the struggle is real. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, for me, it was, it, you know, once I got to, uh, let's see, you know, middle school, I went to a very small middle school. And so there was always something like that. Like, I think the smaller the school, if you didn't see your people, there were like no other people. Right. Uh, and then by the time I got to high school, I was a theater kid, you know, like I was a kid who like my tribe was were kids who would hide in in the theater, in the arts buildings. And so oh. like I didn't have like we talked yeah. about it. I didn't have sports. I, yep. didn't have anything. I yep. would hide to, while eating. I could go on. I won't. How do you feel about eating alone these days? Are you plagued by it if you have to go out to a because it sounds like uh, Miss Jackson, if you're nasty, does still feel those whether they're old feelings bubbling up or if she really still feels them? That's a really interesting question, because I think in many ways I was conditioned to not care so much about it. I know people who really do care about it. But now I'll go to a restaurant and eat alone. Uh, I'll go to a movie. I go to movies alone all the time. Yeah, me too. And uh, and I know people who just refuse to do that. If it's not a date, they won't go. Right. There's some. And I was in my Internet research um, just finding people because there's a ton of um, advice columns about it. Sure. And it's all be confident. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Gross. It's just be confident pretty much. And and there's one other part that I'll get into in a second. But one of the things that they all talked about, though, which was that stood out the most for me is. 
that the fear for a lot of people, I'm not saying this is the fear for uh, Annie or the fear necessarily for you or everyone, but the fear is really being seen as an outcast. The fact that you have no one to eat with means that's it that way for a reason. And everyone is judging you. Right. Is that right? That's I. Yeah, I'm sure I felt that way. I'm having trouble accessing that. But I feel that way through so much of the rest of my life. That idea sure. that we've talked about before of that invisible spotlight. Yeah. That you walk into right. a situation and you're alone at a table. Of course, everyone's looking at you. Of course, everyone's judging you. Forgetting the fact that in junior high and high school, everyone is so self-obsessed. That's exactly right. And that's why you feel that way, right? Of course, you feel like there's a spotlight on you and that nobody has anything better to look at but you. Right. Forgetting the fact right? that if you feel that way, almost everyone else feels that way. There everyone are so many yous, and even the ones that are confident that aren't you are still probably worrying about their table. Yeah. <laughs> Wondering all that. I mean, it, there is such a breakdown in the ability to transfer your feeling onto others. That is not blaming. I mean, that's unfortunately, that's really what junior high and high school kind of is for. That's right. It's just finding the ego. Finding It's Hunger Games with yourself. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like you're just defeating all of these enemies, most of whom just don't exist. This is one of those really interesting things, Tommy, because you get these. I, I don't know that anybody uh, like unless you're you're naturally in a certain social group, I've never met anybody who reports that they were able to solve this problem when it was most important to them, <laughs> like when it was in their youth, like when it. And then you get these stories of people who come, uh, you know, they come out and and grow up and they do they have this go through this sort of catharsis where they exercise that demon themselves, like Tina Fey, who writes Mean Girls. You know what I mean? Like, right. That's the that is one of the uh, it's one of the great stories of just like being aware of that feeling when you were younger and how that manifests in your social identity as an adult and and like just trying to face it and trying to own it and say one I'm I'm going to be a person who makes a choice to eat alone if I can if there's no other if my tribe is not available right or two I'm going to do everything I can to make room for my tribe if I'm at a table and I see that they're feeling the same way when they walk in. I'm going to try to be a, a like a, a bit of light in the lunchroom, mm. a lunchroom light, lunchroom light, um, meaning maybe even making a new tribe, trying to find yourself in that situation. Right. That's right. a Somebody very, who, very vulnerable thing to do. But there's so much strength in that. If you can do it, there are so many use in every situation. Exactly. And I think if you just like for me, if you turn around and like look in a mirror and, and, and say, like, I know I know that person I'm looking at right now, you know, uh, I know that person and I know how they're feeling because that person is me. Yeah, uh, there's this moment. I'm going to go ahead and I got to make a movie call right now. Can I? Sure. Uh, I know you're a movie. You're kind of a movie guy. I've heard you, of them. Remember, remember, I, was it Creed or Creed 2? I think it was just Creed. And you saw you saw Creed. Creed the. The boxing movie. Oh, why was I thinking of the band? You even said movies. <laughs> I was thinking of that terrible Christian band. 
that, Creed okay, the yeah. band teaches us nothing about lunchroom dynamics. No, do you remember um, that one scene when he lifts himself shirtless out of the lake while he's also shirtless <laughs> on the boat? That's got to be applicable. That's okay. amazing. Yes. No, here's the deal. There is this scene in this movie where, uh, you know, Rocky is training him and, and Creed is looking in the mirror and he just says, Rocky just says, look in the mirror, look in that guy's eyes. He's looking at himself mm-hmm. and uh, I want you to throw a punch. And what happens? Well, it's like you're hitting yourself. So with every punch, you have to like move your head. And that's kind of a training thing. It's used in the movie as, oh. as sort of an opportunity to to kind of look at your own look at your own fear and test your reflexes at the same time, I guess. Don't hit the glass. But I love the visual of him throwing a punch and dodging it in the mirror. Sure. At the same time, right? That that is the metaphor, the visual metaphor that I have for huh. trying to psych yourself up sure. to to do to face a hard thing, to go into the lunchroom and be that person that is not afraid to sit any damn place. Sure. Uh but to be the person that finds a seat for someone else. I love that idea. That's really nice. I'm trying to, I'm just, you know, I'm just spinning here, Tommy. I don't know what I'm saying. No, I love that because, again, kind of with my tortured <laughs> uh, idea of Hunger Games for yourself, you're really just talking to yourself. Yeah. As in with all this, you're shadow boxing alone. Now, I don't think that you are, though, suggesting that you bring a mirror to lunch. <laughs> I think you should. You and like what? sit across from it. Because that would be fairly alienating, I would think, for some. No, I have a different idea. And I think that this, Tommy, could go in the What's That Smell store. Are you ready? Okay, yep. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be something that I think we can market almost immediately. We get a large cardboard box. I'm in. (laughs) I don't need to hear a single other word. No, you do. This is important. There's more. All right. It's a large cardboard box, and we cover it all sides with mirrors and then you sit in the box in the lunchroom it's a it's a mirror box that sits over you while you eat and because it's full of mirrors (laughs) people don't see you they just see the fear and anxiety in themselves Uh, oh the mirrors are facing outwards Oh, yes. But I think there's also, they could put mirrors inside on all sides. So there's an infinite of you eating the tuna salad. Do you know what? I think that that is a fantastic bit of of blue sky ideation there and product improvement. And I think we're going to go with that. So it's mirrors on the inside and the outside. And the outside. That way we do a, we do an able job of having everybody else face their own isolation by looking at the mirror box. And we're satisfying your own egotistical drive for more you. That so you what you've done is created like you've jerry rigged a living nightmare. <laughs> That's pretty much you DIY'd hell. Pretty much. That's great. All the inside and outside. Welcome well, to the Panopticon, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, in addition to that being in your WTS shopping cart, uh, part of my frustration was saying that what you brought up earlier, which was that this is such a shared experience that people have gone on Tina Fey, that this is throughout. I brought up wonder years. This has always been a problem. And the fact that it's never been able to be solved is ridiculous. And then I did some research, Pete. (laughs) Have you heard of the name Natalie Hampton? I think you should, because I think she's a homegrown hero. Really? No, I haven't. Please tell me. She is a 16 year old. Well, she was a 16 year old in 2016. So now 
19 year old. 19. 18, 19. Right. Figured that out. She's Matt. from Sherman Oaks, California. Go Shermans. That's what we call ourselves. Um, she designed that is an not app. What you call yourself. That's absolutely what I constantly say. Hey, what's up, Shermans? You, um, nope. We're nope. going to stop that right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's called Wogging. Because it's a mix between jog. Okay. I'm just trying to list <laughs> other things that I've invented that you do not care for. Anyways, <laughs> Natalie Hampton, a 16-year-old from Sherman Oaks, California, designed an app called Sit With Us. It launched in September of 2016 after her entire seventh grade year was spent eating lunch alone. Uh, <sighs> she left and developed this app, which is still nationwide right now and i've actually downloaded it to my phone just to see if it was still up and running it is what it is is it lets you name your school find where people around you and designate yourself as an ambassador therefore inviting Aww. others to join you for lunch you can then post what's called an open lunch event which means lunch you're at lunch and you say this is a safe space you can always come with us which signals to anyone with the app seeking company that they're invited to come over and join at the ambassador's table it all happens over the phone so it's not like you walk in with a flag saying i'm lonely help me it's done all the work for you and it says exactly what table they're at at that school and how to find a safe space i love that that almost makes me tear up a little bit that oh, someone would have and of course apps I love it. it. This is a great way to use technology to uh, bring humanity back to the lunchroom, Tom. Exactly, Pete. And uh, real quick, Annie, thank you so, so much for uh, submitting your listener anxiety. Of course, it is shared by everyone. Your anxiety is legion with us, and we really appreciate it. Also new to the What's That Smell store, giant flags that say, I'm all alone. Help me. <laughs> so what do we got now? We've got the flags. We've got this app. <laughs> Oh, yeah. oh, we, oh, now we have this app. We've decided we're taking over this app. We get 10% of nothing. <laughs> it seems like it's not monetized at all. And then we nope. have Pete's Nightmare Box. Great. Go Nightmare Box. <laughs> Remember, That's every it. Nightmare Box comes with a free catheterization. <laughs> Thank you all so much for joining us for this episode. Today's tune is Midday Moon by Vikings in Tibet. In Tibet. All right. Coming up next week, you're giving yourself electroshock therapy. I, I knew that that would sink in. <laughs> we remember from season one that your mother is a liar. But yes. past that, tell me about your mother, Pete. I feel and bad for laughing, but I desperately want a copy of that class photo. <laughs> Until then, I'm Tommy Mess the Third. And I'm Pete Wright. Thank you for downloading. We'll be back next week on What's That Smell?